I don't feel like I have the words. Like I, I would keep thinking of words, but like, it's just, it's quite a time. And I, um, I feel like never before in my life have I seen so many people have their attention toward and care about uh, Black lives. And that's amazing. And it makes me hopeful. Uh, and I also, I don't believe ever in my life have felt the country be so fragile. And so it could be a moment that where we break through and it could also go really badly. Welcome to Find the Outsider podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. Good to have you with us again, folks. So there's a lot happening in the world. Tuesday started one of our meetings today by talking about what was happening in the United States as the uprising. And so that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast, the uprising. Choose where did, I mean, you didn't just throw that into one of our meetings willy nilly, did you? Like there, there's, there's, yeah. there's more behind that. So can you just speak to why you particularly picked that language today to bring into our meetings and maybe that will kick us off? Sure. And let's be clear. I'm, I've been reading that language and it really resonates for me. So it's not something mm. that came from me, but I, feel like it's an important way to frame what's happening here in the U.S. Um, because I think it's it's that thing around language and narrative really shapes perception. And so much of what's happening here are peaceful protests, are people taking to the streets in great uh, anger and determination and care and commitment and love and words like riot and looting and uh, other um, words are being used to describe what I think, what I experience, what I know to be people rising up together to demand change. And so I think different language is needed. And I think that that needs to start right up front. I think it's fine to call these protests because we are protesting what's happening. And I think what's also happening that cannot be ignored are hundreds and thousands of people are coming together to say no more. And that's an uprising. And that feels um, quite different from how you might see it portrayed here. And I don't know how, I don't know how it's being portrayed other places, but I know here a lot of what's being shared on the news and what's being focused on is deeply problematic and not reflective of the spirit in which things are happening. Yeah, we were chatting earlier today and I was saying that on the on the BBC podcast that I listen to, the news podcast, they always start with the vast majority of protests across the United States have been peaceful. And then they'll go on to a story of, you know, of one yeah. of the kind of like major protests that became violent and or they'll talk about something else. Or, but 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 there's but it's the same line and they repeat it again and again and again mm. to the point where I've memorized it, you, you know. Uh. So it's, it is interesting, I think, and you were saying that isn't necessarily the kind of dominant narrative that's surrounding the media as they, re as they report on the uprising in the United States. Yeah, and I have to be careful, right? Because I'm still, I mean, I'm not the most plugged in person. I'm still finding uh, social media and some media so overwhelming. But um, at least what I'm seeing is you're seeing a lot of characterization of violence and looting. And, and I'm not saying that none of that is happening. And it's all happening in a context. Like there's there's this piece around, um, you know, who is actually being violent? You know, is it the police being violent to protesters? Because that is a violent protest. 
but it's not, you know, and, and we're seeing police be very brutal to protesters, right? So we could cl- classify that as violent. Um, uh, so where is the violence coming from? Um, is the violence um, instigated, right? Like you, so you've seen pictures of like, um, uh, and, and I don't know how real these are, right? So I'm just going to say that, but like, you'll see pictures of like police, like putting stacks of bricks someplace like, oh, well, that's interesting. Or police telling people to leave and then boxing them out so they can't leave. And then they're seen as resisting arrest. So there's just so much happening. And also there is righteous anger happening that I am sure is becoming violent because when you are being killed, you fight back in any way you can. I mean, I feel like in my friend group and in the organizations, I mean, like that's understood, but I don't know that that's understood generally. So you're seeing a lot of messages around, well, you know, it's not okay. You know, this is bad, but it's not okay to destroy property, right? As if property is more important than our lives, right? As if, uh, and I saw a really great one just on social media that said like, let's don't pretend like when we like spilled tea in Boston Harbor, no one's like, ah, they're hurting their own ships and spilling their own tea, right? Like this- it's what our country's built on, right? Is like it's built on protest, is what you're saying. It's built yeah, on protest. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes violent protest. Yeah. That's how we got here. And so it just is like half a, so I'm glad to hear that it's being portrayed elsewhere in different ways. And um Am I right in understanding that the right to bear arms was specifically created? so that the government wouldn't become a dominant force able to suppress the power of citizens. I, I think that was part of the intention of that amendment in, to the Constitution, yeah. was it not? Yeah, that's my understanding. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a great person no, with history, but yeah, that's my understanding as well. And so you see these things that like these enactment of very American ideals Right. Mm. But now that they're that it's because it's against the white dominant power established, somehow it's not it's not what we're about or it's somehow to be crushed or, you know, so um, it's quite it's I don't feel like I have the words like I I keep thinking of words, but like it's just it's quite a time. And I um, I feel like never before in my life have I seen so many people have their attention toward and care about uh, Black lives. And that's amazing. And it makes me hopeful. Uh, And I also, I don't believe ever in my life have felt the country be so fragile. And so it could be a moment that where we break through and it could also go really badly. So I really feel the fragility of it as well. I'm really aware of the fragility of this moment. Yeah. I mean, I see, you know, in my limited circles of friends and family, an uprising in curiosity and consciousness and desire to learn about issues of race Uh and social justice and equity. People who, uh, you know, in in, in my circles or in my community, haven't engaged in these conversations, engaging me in conversation over the, as I buy my coffee in the morning, as I talk to people in the, you know, people pushing out materials through, uh, through Facebook and social media to each other in a way I've just never seen before. So I think you're right. There's, you know, even on, even in, I mean, maybe especially in my kind of like largely white middle-class little world, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a surge of uh, of 
sentiment around I need to be better informed. I need to be better. I need to better understand. I need to be better educated. I am missing something here, you know. Mm. Um, and so that is uh, good. I mean, of course, we were going to talk about the thing, all these things on the podcast today, but it brings it to right too. Um, so people are curious and they're hungry and like, and so where do they go? And they're all, I don't think Tim, you and I, like there are all sorts of resources and places out there for people to go. And, um, it does bring up this issue that we've talked about before, um, around, um, you know, there's lots of good information out there and there's lots of bad information out there and there's lots of hard information out there. And, um, and I think that people will have to wade through it. And I have, Mm. you know, I think people will have to wade through it because I think, you know, it reminds me of the two loops a little bit, right? We don't actually have the new system of like where you would go for me, for, for what I would describe as like good, um, valid, reliable, um, information that will move us forward. We, I mean, that's, and even that, even as I say that, I'm like, that's not true. People have been writing things for years. Um, and there's really good stuff out there. So I guess, let me just take that back. I actually think, and we've talked about it before, like it's, we're ready for a, a next conversation and in racial and social justice that I don't think that we're quite to that next conversation, but there is really good, solid data and and information on this conversation. Yeah. And so one, I mean, one of the things I'm finding having had the like enormous privilege of being like your friend and business partner and it, it is that, you know, you have always said to me, don't go, don't go to the anti racist training, Tim, go, look at your own family, go look at your own history, you know, go look at your own relationships to these issues from your own story in your own life and build your own analysis so that you can be in these conversations from a place of your own understanding rather than having been told how to think by somebody else having read the book or uh, done the training, you know? And so, uh, so that's been a, a massive part of my journey, and and uh, and there's definitely an edge to uh, uh, um, social justice activism that can hold a very strong stance of I'm right, and if you don't agree with me and the way I think, then you can't be in this conversation with me, you know, and uh, yet you know, and we were talking about this earlier today, like regardless of that, like it's almost like we just need the volume turned up right now. Yeah, that's right. And this that's idea exactly. of splitting hairs yeah, between what is, what is good social justice and equity practice and what is not, what is the next conversation and what is the now conversation? Yeah, yeah. I, I think with, you know, I mean, you, you set me straight a little bit because I was telling you a story of something that was going on in my community um, that I think, I think it's just too sensitive to share on air actually, but, but it was going on in my community and, uh, and, and you're just like, no, this is, this is, this is all of it all the time right now. We just need the volume up. You know, we need people in this conversation that have never been in this conversation before. Like we need to open the gates here because there is a, 
a momentum building, an uprising happening that actually we want to lend as much strength to as we possibly can, especially in the face of misrepresentation in the media and in the news outlets. And uh, so I think that's, uh, I just, I, I really received that. Yeah, you did receive that also. And I, and I appreciated your bringing it because you've heard me for years say, oh, not that, right? Like we must move beyond this conversation uh, that we're currently having. And, um, and, and, and I, yeah. And I don't know if I, I just, I guess I need to say it. You've said it, but I, I need to say it. Like for me now is not the time to say not that converse. It's like all of it, all of it. If, if it is, if it is geared toward, um, moving racial justice forward, even if it's not the conversation I would have in the way I want to have it, I want it to be had. Like I want, I want like full press, full press right now, all of the ways that people want and need and can talk about it. And I think what I still know is true is the current dialogue will not bring everyone in. We still need alternate ways. That also I think needs like an acceleration right now. Uh, but I'm not in any way willing to say, um, not that this. Like I just think it's time for like what are what are the what are the eighteen doorways in? Let's open them all, because because we need we need numbers, we need mass, and it, different things. We'll talk to different people, and yes, I'm seeking a different way, but at this moment, I'm just seeking a way. Right, and and I, I've just loved some of the um, uh, some of the voices I've been hearing on the on the radio around this, saying like, what's different about this is that it's not local in the United States right? Mm. Like it's actually expanded across the United States. Yeah. And what's different about this is that it's expanded beyond the United States in that you're seeing protests in London. You're seeing protests in New Zealand. Yeah. You're seeing protests in, in, you know, you're see, yeah. you know, as a follower of the Premier League football, you're seeing the Liverpool team take a knee, take a mm. knee, the Liverpool soccer team take a knee, you know, you're seeing Jordan Sancho, who hopefully Manchester United are going to buy this season because he's so amazing currently plays for Borussia Dortmund you know um kind of like pulling off his shirt you know and underneath is he's written in pen on his shirt in support of the protesters in the United States you know so this truly has become something that is an international movement where all eyes are on the United States I mean I have this real sense of like we're all watching and I know we've had this, yeah. you know, it is so important not to turn away right now, you know, yeah. but like this, this is, yeah. this is, this is, this is the thing that is different about what is happening right now is it's not regional. It's not even national. Mm-mm. It's international to the point where our international clients are calling you up and being like, you're right. Well, what's going on? Yeah. Right. I mean, you're literally getting calls from people we work our, with our who internet- care about you, you know? Our international clients who work with those in conflict and post-conflict zones are, yes. you know what I mean? yeah. are calling me like, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. This is, I, I, I feel like, and again, I just, I, I've never experienced a moment like this. I've never experienced a moment where so many eyes and, and, and the openness and willingness. Now, again, I feel the fragility of the moment. I don't think it guarantees anything but I am so aware of never being in a place like this before. And that's tragic because of so many lives that have been lost to make this happen. Like, you know, like just, you know, it's almost the amount of death. So, um, 
I ran a vigil with some friends the other night, a virtual vigil. And I just, we just read the names. One of the things we did was we read the names of um, those who'd been killed only since 2014 with Eric Garner, who was the first man who was caught on tape saying, I can't breathe. And they killed him. So it was just from Eric Garner on, and there were 96 names. And I don't know that it was an exhaustive list. And the place I got it said, this may not be an exhaustive list. 96 people, unarmed black people, men and women killed by the police since 2014. I mean, it's just like the, the, at some point, right, this amount of death had to cause some attention. So I think it's, it's the amount of just, there's just the sheer amount of death happening and the way it's happening. And now we can capture it on video as well as the work. I think the work of folks who have been active for decades and years, like it feels like it's all coming together. Plus I think this president, frankly, you know, all of his signaling to white nationalists throughout his presidency, all of the things he's allowed to occur um, to people of color and have instigated against people of color, his presidency, COVID, it just feels like a moment, right? It's just such a moment. I don't think I've ever lived through anything like this. And so it is a, it's a true confluence of events, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. incredible. Can you talk to me a little bit? You've used the word fragile and I think, you, I don't know whether you said fragile and potent, but fragile, but also full of hope. That's what you said, fragile and full of hope. So can you talk to me a little bit about the fragility and the hope? Can you just give it, can you just take yeah. me a bit below that in terms of what you're seeing? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the hope for me is like the amount of people who care, like, uh, like who care, who are like mm. being obvious about who care, who are, you know, I mean, just from I mean, like from everything, from podcasts I listen to that are just about comedy to, um, to clients calling me to like friends on social media. I've gotten so many beautiful emails and texts from white friends saying, how are you? Are you, and they love me. I've never, so it's just like, um, the amount of dancing in the streets, the amount of creativity that the folks who are who are out on the streets are using the, the singing, the dancing, the signs, like there's just something vibrant and vital and potent and electric happening. And it's going in a direction. Um, and as we know, as we know, when that new system begins to form, the old system does everything it can to crush it. Yeah. Right. And it's so built, it's of built course, for self-preservation, right? Right. So of course, uh, it's fragile because we are one of the most, I, I don't know if weaponized is the right word. We are a country with a lot of weapons, right? Here. That's a powder keg, right? We just three weeks ago had armed protesters at the state house because they weren't allowed to shop, right? So about COVID, right? So we've got people who have a lot of arms and people who are out in the streets. And that just, for me, is and a president that will single white nationalists right? Who are armed, who are organized, right? And so of course you begin to see other militaristic left responses, right? Right. So what does that mean, right? We have a galvanization of people out and about most, the vast, 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 vast majority without weapons. We have a militarized police force and we have a militarized nationalist, white nationalist groups, right? So that just feels to me like it's incredibly fragile. Like it could 
it could, what's that term break bad? It really could. That's entirely possible. And can you talk to me a little bit about um, the kind of uh, the people of color beginning to militarize in response? Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're beginning to militarize. I think. Um, oh, again, actually. But yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that there's probably been, I, I know that there's been, you know, a, a militant, you know, um, and, and the difference is that is a protective militantism. Mm. It's not, it's not going out and seeking. It's like, here we are, we will protect our families. It is the role. It is our duty to protect our families. Right. So you just, I'm just seeing more like more on Instagram of families with guns. And of course that would be the response here. Right. I can even find it in myself to be like, Oh, there's a lot of guns out. Do I need a gun to protect myself? Like, it's just like, uh, I don't have a gun. I will not get a gun. Um, but it, there's just like, uh, in a, you know, it's just, it's just on a countries do it all the time. Arms races. Right. Yeah. So you can imagine that could happen on a, on a, on a smaller scale. And so I just think, um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to be alarmist. I'm just aware. I'm aware that we're a country that has a lot of weapons and we're a country that uses its police force against its citizens. We sh we're seeing that over and over and over again. We have some people in our community who um, they're originally from here, so they've kept their house in the town, but they uh, live in LA. And um, they got so uncomfortable with what they were seeing in LA in terms of people arming themselves that they packed everything up in the Winnebago and drove across country, not knowing if they could get across the border. And uh, and they drove all the way up and came back. And uh, I didn't know they were actually back. And then I saw them on the street and I was like, oh. And um, and uh, and one of the things that uh, they said to me in conversation was they they felt like it was uh, trying to. The, I think the exact word was irrevocable, like mm. irrevocable harm has been caused. Now it was like there were people I used to still be able to have dinner with, you know, but. Mm -hmm. If what you're doing is aligning yourself behind Trump, this isn't actually political anymore. You know, mm -hmm. like if what you're doing, if you're not just you're not just aligning yourself behind the Republican Party, but you're aligning yourself behind this man. He's like, I just can't I can't have dinner with you. Like like it's done. Like the ability to bridge is over now, you know, and that really struck me of like the like uh, and I think it speaks to the kind of fragility that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a curious, I, I have a curiosity because I think there have been a lot of people who could bridge. Yeah. They could time. be in that, in that intermediate right. space. Right. Right. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who could never be in that intermediate space because it was our lives and, um, yeah. but, 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 you know, the further that pulls apart, you know, I don't know where that, I don't know where that is. I mean, I guess, right. I mean, like what, are, are you the person who says breakdown or breakthrough? I've, I've said it a few times. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that that's the moment, right? Like we just, I'm not saying anything that none of us know. A moment like this can lead to massive transformation and it has, right? Yeah, I was going to say, right? right? It's not a dream. It's not a dream to hope that this could lead to massive transformation. We know it. We can learn those lessons in history and we can go forward. It's possible. And it can lead to just massive rupture. And I, I, today, we'll see today. I feel, I feel quite hopeful, even though I don't see how it's going to resolve. Yeah. Cool. But 
but I appreciate people trying and I think we got to try all the ways and I, I'm not interested in, you know, I just, somebody sent me, do you remember Eileen Reed from Cincinnati? She sent me a really, of course I do. Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah. She sent me a, a oh, really good, that's awesome. she sent me a video today. It was a woman talking about, um, the black middle and upper class and the, uh, strategies that we are suggesting. And she was like, yeah, go do those strategies. I'm going to be in the street. Like, and she was just like, we need all the strategies, all of them, yeah. every single one of them, please go do that thing you do over there, but don't dare criticize what I'm doing over here. And I'm not going to, I'm going to leave you to it. So it was just really, it was a beautiful, like, we need all of the things. Right. Yeah. And in terms of, just in terms of our work, before we close this out and kind of do a poem and a song, like we always do, like in terms of our work, it's becoming part of the narrative that surrounds our work, isn't it? I mean, it's like yeah. we're running, you know, in because obviously we can't travel at the moment. So we're beginning to deliver what we would have delivered face-to-face remotely. And that's exciting for us. And we're feeling the potential of that. But also the kind of the context of the, of the protests and the uprising in the United mm-hmm. States is becoming something that's part of the framing that we're giving. The context of COVID obviously has been there, but now we're beginning to speak about it and bring it in as part of how we're setting up our gatherings and our meetings, because of course it cannot be ignored. It's part mm-hmm. of the context that we're all living and working in, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're running a series of online events next um, week with people in New York. And uh, obviously we are going to talk about COVID. And as we ta- met with the team today, I'm like, and you know, now there's this other huge, huge uh, bit of context happening in the air. And if we just go in and say like, what do you need to let go to be in this meeting? Oh my goodness. Right. Like there's, that's just, that's really loaded. If we don't do some acknowledgement, some being with some understanding that with that particular client group, that there are a lot, a lot of black folks. And if we cannot make room for this, like yeah. we don't deserve to do the job we're doing, but also like it wouldn't even, it would just be a ridiculous exercise in like having a meeting. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be meaningful. It wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like it just be like, okay, we just waste everyone's time for two hours. Like we have to be, we have to be with people and yes. um, yeah, we have to be where they are and where we, and, and frankly, where we are. Yeah. Because- the conversations we're in. Yeah. I mean, we had an outside meeting, like meeting with the outside, our team members this week, and it was an hour and a half meeting. And for an hour, we checked in about this, right? Because that's where we are. One of our team members is in Minneapolis. I'm, you know, I'm a black American. Jermaine's a black Canadian. Like it's just like, it's here. It's here. And, and, and we have the people who love us sitting in that circle, right? Um, Summer is having a different experience in St. Croix, right? As a black woman. So we couldn't have that team meeting and sure we can talk about having an event this fall, which I think we're going to have an event this fall. That's very exciting without, but also without like being like where half of our team is. And then of course, where the rest of our team's heart is as well. So what are you going to do? Thank you, friend. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. You're you're a place where I get some information. Like, again, I've just decided to like hole up in my house. So I like it when you send me stuff and, you know, so I appreciate that. You got a song for us today? I do. I do. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Well, this is an old one. We who believe in freedom cannot 
It's called Ella's Song. It was written for Ella Baker and originally performed by Sweet Honey and the Rock. And it's uh, it's called Ella's Song. But I, I don't know. I always heard it as we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until until the killing of black men, black mother's sons, is as important as the killing of white So good. And my and our friend Isoke sings it often in workshops. And so just like that song just moves me, makes me think of people I know and people I love. And, um, and I sent it to Brona after the last UK election because she was devastated. Right. So I just sent it to her and said, hey, you know, just I don't know if this will help, but this is a song from North America to maybe like take heart. And um, she sent it back to me this week and just as a little oh. reminder. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to, it's Ella's song. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. I'm just enjoying listening to it. Yeah. So good. It's so good. I think I've heard Sweet Honey in the Rock. I'm sure you have. Sing I'm it. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get to bring a poem. Yeah. And so we're going back to Lem Sisay, who is one of my favorite poets. He's uh, He was born in Lancashire, England, but of Ethiopian and Eritrean heritage. And uh, this is just one of those poetry books I go back to again and again, and then I open up and I discover somehow a poem in it I haven't read or I rediscover mm. a poem I love. So let me just say it's called Listener, this collection of poems. And uh, this one is called Advice for the Living. Dead fast, this. Everyone's dying to arrive, living for deadlines, trying to stay straight as a die. They'll get there dead or alive because they're dead set and they do arrive on shores of dead heats, dead beats at dead ends, dead messed up like dead stock. The living, dead flogging, dead horses in the dead of night, dead right, dead lost, dead right. Every now and again we stop dead in our tracks, dead still because it's dead hard like a dead weight's dropped on the head. Wouldn't you die for a little peace, die for a breath of hope? Dead right I would. In the dead centre, of all this deadlocking, dread locked. Words dead ahead. They read, life is not worth living if there's no one you would die for. Dead right. Hmm. Thank you. It's beautiful and hard too. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it for this episode of Find the Outside the Podcast. It is. I'm totally reading the script right now. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. That's right. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. You can find links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast or in the description for the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. 
You can find the song we played in today's show and every song we played in previous shows on the playlist we created on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside on Spotify playlists, or you can find a link over at findtheoutside.com slash podcast. This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio, our ever patient and discerning <laughs> podcast producer. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Mark. And theme music for the Find the Outside podcast is by Gary Blakemore. Thanks, folks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.